Hey everyone, Joe Kim here with the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. And today we're going to be talking about a little bit of a sensitive topic, which is what you as an employee can do to protect yourself against layoffs or restructuring at the company that you are with. And also, how should you deal with situations where you may potentially be unhappy at work? And so how to best optimize when and how you should uh, leave your company, or, or maybe you shouldn't leave your company, maybe you should stay there, but how to think through that process. And we all know that the video games industry uh, can be tough, a lot of dynamic changes, and also characterized by a lack of transparency in many cases. And so these types of situations can put employees in a pretty tough spot. And, and on top of all that, you know, over the past six months or so, I personally have been hearing a lot of unfortunate rumors about various companies who are running into trouble. And so unfortunately, I do believe that over the next three to six months or so, there will be a number of companies that will have to restructure and again, put employees in a pretty tough situation. So given that, we've got two pros in the executive search space. The first is Sam Wallace from Carmichael Fisher Search, and the second is Jeffrey Lujan from The Game Group to talk about these very important topics. And this discussion was originally a video from the Game Makers YouTube channel. So I definitely encourage you guys all to check out Game Makers. Uh, sorry for self-promotion, but you know you can go to gamemakers.com, the website, which is uh, somewhat updated, but um, probably best to go to Game Makers on YouTube, and please do check out some of those videos. But anyway, to kick it off, Sam and Jeffrey, maybe we can start with quick introductions in terms of who you are, starting with you, Sam. Yeah, happy to, and uh, really happy to be joining the conversation. Thanks for including me. Um, I'm a lifelong search person. I've been in search since the late 90s. Um, I started in the UK before moving to Vancouver, Canada in 2002. Um, I was there until 2014 when I moved down to San Francisco, and I launched a nationwide technology practice for Corn Ferry, which is a global executive search firm. Um, after that, I moved down to the LA market, and I've been here for the last almost three years, and fairly recently joined Carmichael Fisher. Um, Carmichael Fisher are a boutique, a global boutique focused on director-to-VP level executives, and I lead specifically the technology practice for Carmichael Fisher. Great. And Jeffrey? Well, <laughs> that was very impressive. I, <laughs> I'm a little more um, boring, I'm afraid. I, I served um, my time in the games industry as is uh, a professional, um, started in uh, product management and eventually grew into uh, an executive level role throughout my career. And about six years ago, started to get into um, recruitment and um, uh, employee consultations. So um, love it, have lots to share and, and lots of advice and input to offer uh, candidates all over. Okay, great. So I thought we could open things up by just talking about, you know, how worried people should be and whether you would recommend employees at game companies take a more proactive approach to protecting against a company restructuring or shutting down. So when companies restructured or when they restructure, we've heard of some stories like Telltale, where there was literally zero severance and health insurance ended at the end of the week people were let go. So first of all, generally speaking, how often and how much do companies protect their employees when they are doing layoffs or when they are restructuring? 
Maybe starting with you, Sam? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's just such a big question because no two situations are the same. You know, sometimes we see what we call a planned riff or reduction in force. And so then organizations might be more thoughtful and planful about the exit strategy that they're um, offering to their employees. Um, other times, market conditions can change on a dime. And so companies are making very quick decisions. Um, I think that Openness is critical and communication is critical if there is noise about things that may be happening in an organization. And I think um, as an employee, if there is noise in the organization, the key is to um, ask questions, but certainly stay focused because uncertainty can impact performance. And if there is that instability, uh, performance is something that will be looked at really closely for employees. Yeah, I, I've got to jump in on, on, on that, Joseph. I absolutely agree on, on the two things that, that Sam just said. I think asking openly and honest questions to your, your supervisor or to executives uh, is absolutely step number one that, that, that should happen. And I always think that you kind of know in your gut if you're being fed the truth or maybe something not quite the truth. Um, and And I think that just making that simple effort to ask the question, hey, what's going on with the organization? Should I be concerned? I think actually people will be quite surprised at how far they can um, take that message and prepare themselves. Uh, wh whether it's, um, we'll be working with this company for a long time, or you know what, I didn't quite get the answer I wanted, but it was enough to let me know I need to start preparing for a potential move. So I, I absolutely agree with, with, with Sam on, on that analysis, for sure. Got it. And then how proactive should employees be, generally speaking, in terms of you know, looking at other opportunities or doing things to protect against losing their jobs? Um, I, let, let me jump in on that because it is such a fine line. I, I find, and I'm just going back uh, to, to my time in, in the industry my, myself. It is a fine line because you want to be loyal to your employer completely. But at the end of the day, you also have to be loyal to yourself and to your family um, and to your loved ones, potentially to your landlord or your mortgage holder as well, right? <laughs> um, so my advice, in, and I used it both as, um, as an employee working my way up in the industry, and I advise this as a recruiter, stay current in everything um, from your LinkedIn account to your resume. Put an hour and a month as your homework, just to stay current. And, and that way you'll, you'll always be a little bit ahead of the curve, if that makes sense. And you won't be caught off guard or be scrambling, looking to take advantage of an opportunity or to save yourself when your organization takes a downward turn that may have caught you off guard. That, that would be my response. Yeah, and I, I agree with a lot of, of what we're talking about here. I think it's it's really hard to fully protect yourself, even if, um, excuse me, fully protect yourself if you hear noise in, in the market. It It's hard to kind of bolster yourself against what may happen because it's sort of out of your control. But I think the preparedness is a really important piece. Um, and sort of always striving and remembering to do your best work. Because again, as I said before, in times of uncertainty, you might be looking up and out to try and find other opportunities, but then you're taking your foot off the gas. And I come back to the point I made earlier, right? Performance is so important and your ability yes, yes. to do your best work. And so making sure that you stay focused on that, even when there's other things that you're having to prioritize. That, that's one thing I think that's really important. 
Um, the other thing, and, and we'll talk about this, I think, quite a bit in the session today, is really remember to network, right? Because if you Absolutely. your network and your contacts current, um, more people know about you. So if opportunities do come up, your name is likely to come up in conversation. And that is really how you find out about other things. So, you know, take the calls from the recruiters who are saying, here, this might be an opportunity. Go to networking events. Um, and I think the other thing I would add is, is be confident in offering your opinion in those conversations. So if you're having a conversation with someone and the role or the, the job that you hear about, it's not for you. Be confident in recommending people that you know, because as you're offering something helpful, um, something helpful may come back in return. Right. Absolutely agree. Great point. And then how about expectations from sort of employee to employer in terms of severance during a layoff? What would you say are typical severance packages for different levels of employees? And I, I know every company will be a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, but what would you characterize as like industry averages? I'll throw this out first, and, and I'm really anxious to, to hear Sam's point of view and, and Joseph, your, your point of view as well from the, the companies that you've um, led. It seems a good rule of thumb, and again, just a rule of thumb, would be two weeks severance for every one year served at, at the organization. Um, and I would suggest that's typically for entry to mid level. Uh, employees. When you get into the executive C-level group, uh, things are a little bit different and are typically negotiated up front. My takeaway back from the days that I, I, I used to, to work in the industry full-time to even now experiencing um, life in the industry as a recruiter, it does seem about two weeks per year served is about average. Um, yeah for for severance packages but but again that's just my experience and i would love i'm learning with you guys on this one am i far off base or what have you found yeah you know i, I would agree with you i think rule of thumb that's a good good guideline i do think joe joe to sort of repeat what you said i don't think there's any real hard and fast rules i mean employment law governs some things that must be provided by employers um, but in some situations in the contract, you may have negotiated what would happen in a change of controls type of situation. And more senior roles may have different um, uh, offerings than, than something at a more junior level. So it really does vary quite significantly, I think. Yeah. And Jeffrey, just to provide my own experience, I, I've typically seen about generally two weeks, regardless of length of employment. Although for the the more traditional and, and like older the company, then then you get to like kind of the, the package that, that you're talking about, Jeffrey. And to, to your point as well, the higher level you are, the more, the softer the may not be fair, but uh, cer certainly that's it. That's, that's the case where like the higher level execs have, um, you know, um, kind, kind of uh, special packages and deals and, and things of that nature. Um, yeah, I think that's a great point. So Joseph, and, and something I, I would love to, to learn more about and kind of establish uh, with candidates that, that I represent is when do you negotiate a severance package, mm. right? When in years ago, when, when I was active as an employee, uh, it was not uncommon to negotiate a severance package upon hire. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems that we're we're moving a little bit away from that, just based, again, only on the clients that, that I represent today. 
I'm, I'm seeing that. So I don't know if that's the new norm or, or what, you know, you're finding. I, I, to be honest, again, this is such a great learning experience for me. Uh, Sam, I'd love to hear what, what you found. Yeah, I, I still find it gets negotiated at offer. Um, and it tends to be, in, in my experience, the more senior roles are talking about severance and change of controls. Um, if it's a manager level, typically that doesn't tend to have a severance negotiation or less frequently in my experience, but certainly at a director VP and up, um, that conversations happen and it gets written into the offer letter. And I think particularly in this industry and in the tech industry where we do see change of controls happen, whether through acquisitions or M&A activity, um, that language is often the key piece in terms of you know, what, what will happen if the organization is acquired by another organization and they need to have some framework um, in order to know what their exit looks like. I would just add on to that. Um, the, the fact that if, you, if you're ever in a situation where your employer is relocating and mm -hmm. offering you the opportunity to relocate with them, I do mm -hmm. think it's highly appropriate at that time for you to negotiate a severance package because you're moving your family, yeah. you're moving, you know, everything yeah. you have to be with this company mm -hmm. and, you know, hopefully nothing happens along the way, but you certainly don't want to be stranded in a strange city with a company that no longer exists. Yeah. Work out. So I would just add that. How, how do you feel about if you are relocating it, you may want to, put some negotiation forward towards I, I would 100% agree with that because typically what I've seen is if a company's offering a reload package, they're going to have a clawback, right? So That's whether right. it's a clawback over three years or four years, they have a plan for if you decide to move on from the organization. But if, if you don't have a plan, then you're stuck with the, the cost and the risk and the what if. So yeah, I think it's a really important piece. Um, I'm just charging my computer. I just realized I'm about to make the battery. So I, I will be back. Hold on. <laughs> and while, while you're charging your battery, I, I would say the one other thing to think about are, are the regional differences or the uh, geographic differences. So if, if, if you are in like the UK or other countries that have, you know, sort of uh, greater legal safeguards around, yes. you know, re, um, you know, severance and things of that nature, then, then you're probably not as worried as, as if you're kind of here in the U.S. Right. <laughs> Great point. So, so to that point, I'm speaking purely on on U.S. centric right. businesses today. Yeah. Great point, Joseph. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, just kind of uh, moving forward, let's let's talk about specific things employees can do if they are worried about their jobs. Mm -hmm. From networking, which we've briefly touched upon, to yeah. documenting wins at work in a public way, or being mm -hmm. active on LinkedIn, or developing relationships with recruiters. Can you talk to me about all the different ways in which employees can proactively take initiative to protect themselves? And then of those things, what are the specific activities you guys think are the most effective? Maybe starting with you, Jeff? Sure, ab absolutely. Um, I, think, I think we kind of touched on it a bit earlier on, uh, and, and Sam raised a really good point too. I think this is really, um, a two-way environment between the employee and the employer. Sam mentioned that your sole goal as an employer, or excuse me, employee, is to focus and do your best for that company, right? Now, that can't happen 
if you're constantly worried <laughs> that, you know, you're going to come to the office and it's not there the next day, or, you know, maybe your position is being phased out, et cetera. So you do want to take some safeguards outside of work to protect your, your own interests. And, and I always go back to, again, like stay current on everything. Um, spend an hour a month updating your LinkedIn, updating your resume, put it on the side. Uh, take advantage. One great thing that I always remember about the games industry, it's such a closed circuit of tight professionals. And there are all sorts of, of mixtures, uh, events, um, uh, campaigns that you can be a part of, you know, not just with your company, but with, with all external members of the, the games industry as, as a whole. I know it's not always easy and you're always tired. <laughs> I remember at the end of, you know, Wednesday after a 12 hour day, the last thing you feel like doing is going to some meet and greet mixer. Mm -hmm. Do it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> take the time, do it. Yeah. And even if you're not looking for a job, you never know, really. I mean, perhaps you're in a position to provide a job who you'll run into at one of those mixers and what type of lasting impression you'll make uh, with, with someone at, at those, those mixers. But, uh, you know, again, I, I really would stress, focus on your task at hand in the job environment. And on the outset, be prepared, prepare yourself, update your resume, attend these events, update LinkedIn, um, and, and be ready to go. I, I don't want to get too long-winded in this, but I would like to throw something out that I don't entirely agree with. And I would be curious to hear your, your thoughts on this, both as a recruiter and as an executive. Um, I'm not a big fan of people applying for positions when they're not really interested in accepting that position. I think oftentimes that actually burns more bridges than, than opens opportunities. That, that would be my last statement on, on that and would certainly open that up to your opinions. Yeah, so I mean, I agree with so much of what you're saying, right? Network, network, network. I, I think that's going to be a running theme of this conversation. It's like you have to get out there. You have to be telling your story. Um, and one of the things I, I describe it as sort of an off-Broadway conversation, but if you're feeling uncertain and so you're looking to leave because of that uncertainty, you may not be articulating your capabilities as well as you can. And what you want to do is understand where your strengths are and know how to articulate that in a concise and compelling way. And, and, the, and I, I describe it as off-Broadway because it's like if you practice those conversations, when it really matters, you will be punchy and you will be articulate and, and then, then you'll, you'll win, right? And I think that if we're anxious about the role that we're in and we're looking up and out and we're looking to run away from something, then we're not presenting the thing that we want to do going forward. We're just acknowledging the thing that we want to leave. And I think we have to shift that perspective to say, I'm running towards something and I'm articulating my value proposition in this way instead of I'm running away from something because this is uncertain and I'm unhappy or, or whatever it is. So I think practice that value proposition, go to networking events. They're really, really big things. Um, I think we could probably have an entire hour's conversation about <laughs> update resumes. I mean, this is this yeah. is a big conversation. Like what is what is it that gets you the interview now? Is it the resume? Is it LinkedIn? Is it your portfolio? Um, I agree. I think you should be current. I think my view is 
you need to have enough information out there so that people can clearly and quickly see what your capabilities are. But you need to have enough white space so their curiosity is peaked, right? So they're like, oh, I, I want to find out more about this person because what I'm seeing is compelling. Um, and again, that takes practice. If you haven't written a resume for a while because you've been in a role for a while, it's not going to be the greatest resume the first shot you take. So practice, refine, get feedback. Um, and again, network, network, <laughs> network. Yeah. And Jeffrey, I would just, to your point about you know, not not talking to um, you know executive search or recruiters. If you're not really looking, I, I have to totally agree with you on that because you know fundamentally you don't want to be crying wolf. And then the time that you need the help, that you know executive search or recruiters don't take you seriously. So yeah, sure. I, yeah. The thing is, I I'm always happy to talk to to any anybody. Mm -hmm. Honestly, as long as you want to talk to me, I'm happy to talk to you. Where I see the real problem, in, and again, it's been several years since I've actually been, you know, hands on deck in the industry. But I, I, I know it's such a small industry, right? Mm -hmm. It is. And it's a very transient industry. What I mean by that is people will follow you around or you'll follow them around. I promise who you're working with today at your company, there's an excellent chance you're going to be working with them in some capacity right. in another company, down the road, in a partnership, what have you. And, and my real, where I've seen a real um, turning point in, in applicants and employees is when they, they're not happy really with where they want to be or where they're at right now in their current employer, but instead of addressing that with their supervisor, their management team, et cetera, they try to validate their worth by going to another company to interview. Right. From, and from what I can tell, without really the motivation of joining another team, but rather taking that to their current company and saying, hey, I'm worth a lot. Look, this other company wants to hire me. Right. I think that honestly kind of, um, works against yeah. people and yeah. because very rarely have I seen, and I could be totally wrong, but very rarely have I seen a situation where one company has spent significant resources in time of their executives to interview you and to please you and to vouch for you only to have you say, uh, you know, what? it turns out I'm not really that interested. I, I'm going to stick around my old company. Right. To have them come back to you later on and not feel abandoned or feel like you try to pull something over on them. I just don't think it's it's an effective tool. I I would really recommend if you're unsatisfied where you're at today, honestly, take it up first internally. Do yourself a favor. Get a good feel, you know, from from your manager or 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 the team there. And and you'll be able to determine if if you feel good about what they're saying to you um, and, and how you can best move forward. But I, I would just caution against trying to prove your, your worth or, or be validated by pursuing companies you know you're not interested in. Yeah, that, that, that's a great point. Uh, so yeah, I'm glad, glad you made that. And then from, from my perspective, a couple of uh, bits of advice I would give people in terms of, you know, if you're worried about your job or if you do want to protect yourself, I, I would say to your point, Instead of trying to go, you know, um, find another job, try, try to solve that internally. But also, 
you know, I, there, there's two things that, that I would recommend. First is this notion that I call the digital footprint, which is, um, in my opinion, like the extension of your resume, right? Which is whether it's a blog or a podcast or YouTube or however you want to, um, however you can, to best document what your capabilities are in a public way. And so I feel that in today's world of social media and just with all of the channels that we have, to be able to put that out there for other people to be able to see how you think, what your philosophies are, all that kind of stuff. I, I personally believe that that is like the next, you know, like the next wave in terms of the, um, the evolution of not only, I mean, the resume is still important, but like going beyond that. Second bit of advice I would give people is just in terms of like networking, it seems like just anecdotally from what I'm seeing that the next, the next wave is, is seems to be in Slack, whether it's, with, you know, industry specific or there are kind of secret exclusive Slack channels that, that, um, you know, in which you can meet a lot of people within your industry, uh, to your point, that can make you apprised of different opportunities and where if you are active in that community, people will be aware of you and can keep you top of mind. So th those are two things that I would say. <laughs> That's great points. Yeah, um, I, I, I just add two things quickly to that. Um, and I, I say this a lot, right? If you're not there, then the opportunity can't present itself. You could be there and there may not be an opportunity, but if you're not there, you'll never you'll never find it. So definitely be in the moment. Um, and then the other point, just back to the <clears throat> this idea of counter offers, there's a ton of data and I don't have the reference point, but um, that suggests that if you do employer, um, typically people um, leave within six months. Hmm. So it's right. that, that, so supported in terms of. Yeah. Okay. And, and moving on to the next topic in now. So in my experience, executive search has been incredibly helpful. In fact, just in terms of my own personal experience, if it weren't for a recruiter named Brent Hale who helped me land my job at this company called Fun Plus uh, earlier in my career, my, my career in gaming probably would have completely died. And so seriously speaking, um, you know, uh, I, I, th I think I, I would be doing something completely different right now. And so from my own experience, I have so much gratitude towards what you guys do in your profession and understand the level of impact it can have on people's lives, including my own. So for me, it was literally everything, like my, my whole career. So given that, can you talk about the different kinds of search and recruitment services or agencies out there and the, um, you know, and, you know, so what, what are the different agencies? Who do they cater to? And what are they for different kinds of people? And, and maybe starting with you, Jeff? Uh, sure. You know what? I um very, very similar to you. I, I think you know this about me. I, uh, I owe my entire industry in games to a recruiter. I, before games, I, I was in feature film animation and um, I loved it. But man, my hand sure got tired of drawing, <laughs> you know, 10 hours a day. So I, I took a call from someone in, gosh, maybe 1997, a recruiter who said, hey, this video game thing, it's, it's really going to blow up. Trust me. Uh, you'll be perfect for this. And, um, and I did. And um, 
I, I, I'm still pretty close with that recruiter. Now we're kind of competitors, unfortunately, because <laughs> I'm in the recruiting business. But uh, um, I will say this, that uh, doing your homework on, on what recruiting agencies specialize in, in what fields um, you're particularly skilled in or interested in is really a must. Uh, you know, we based on on my background and, and the opportunity I had to work inside the industry, I, I think I have, um, in the game group, has a, a pretty good grasp on all aspects of, of gaming from art to business to technology. And so, so we really look at all um, facets of, of employment in, in games. But I do know lots of, of recruiters specifically specialize in, in art or technology or executive level employees. And, you know, I, I'm going to not mention them <laughs> just because I'm not sure they would want me to. <laughs> okay. But I promise, I promise they are out there and they're all great. But again, you've got to figure out who you kind of connect with, right? And, and trust that person that he or she has your back and will give you honest advice, whether it's advice you want to hear or not. As long as you're getting honest advice, I think you're with a, a good recruiter. And, and that's just my total takeaway on, on that. And I defer to you and, and to Sam. So I think about the recruiting industry kind of along this spectrum. Um, and it's a topic I've been kind of wrangling with for a while. I'm actually hosting a, a breakfast on like demystifying recruitment later this month, because there are tons of different types of recruitment firms. At one end of the spectrum, you've got contingent kind of bums on seats. They get paid when they make a placement. It's scrappy, it's aggressive, and there's a place for it. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you've got true executive search, fully retained, C-suite board level, very sophisticated. And then in the middle, you have this massive melting pot of specialization, fee structures, industry, um, function, geography. So there's this sort of melting pot that goes on there. I think there's a couple of things that are really important to understand about recruitment is that if the firm that you engage with and you start to build a relationship with, if they are retained, then they are representing the client, right? They are paid by the client and they are representing the client's interests. First and foremost, so they're going to be looking specifically for what the client is looking for. And if you fit that, then you'll be in their mix as a candidate. On the contingent side, on the other hand, they can sometimes be more representative for you because if they know you and they know your client and they know their client base, they can sometimes just simply call in to their clients and say, hey, like this guy's on the market. He's awesome. She's amazing. You guys should meet. And so you, it's important to understand the difference between that sort of retained and contingent model. Um, but I think, Jeff, to your point, it comes down to, do they understand what you do? Do they specialize in that area, particularly if you've got very niche skills? Because if they don't, it's unlikely they're going to be particularly helpful. So, so make sure that they do have a degree of specialization and understand the industry. Um, and then it's about finding the people that you connect with. At the end of the day, they're going to be representing you. They'll be your voice until you get to meet with the client. And so you have to believe and trust that they will be a true reflection of you. So um, 
We work with multiple agencies. I would say that's the piece too. You don't have to just work with one. You can have multiple relationships, but it has to be a relationship. You do want to trust them and be aware of the type of firm they are because that will drive their motivation and some of their behaviors. You know, let, let me add on to that, Joseph, really, really quick. Yeah. Uh, Sam really hit a critical point. And, um, and I think the fact that a contingency uh, recruiter, his or her relationship with a hiring manager is, I mean, so valuable based on exactly what she just said. Because if you have that good relationship, if I have a good relationship with you, and you're looking for a particular role based on this job description, right? Um, I could come in with a candidate because you know me and I could say, hey, Joseph, you know what? This person is not exactly verbatim what you're looking for, but I know this individual and I know what they're, uh, they're um, capable of performing. And because you and I have this rapport together and, and hopefully you trust me as much as I trust you, I, chances are really good. You'll give that some thought um, and, and make a determination, you know, whether or not, um, though this can may not check all the boxes, uh, if you want to interview them based on, on the, the value you place on me um, and, and my knowledge. So to, to Sam's point, yeah, absolutely. That rapport between, uh, contingency rep uh, recruiter and the hiring manager or committee cannot be overstated. Last thing I, I just want to throw in here, and and I'm again, I would be curious to hear your thoughts. I am not a fan of anybody who charges any recruiter that comes to a candidate and says, "I'll help you get a job." but it's going to cost you a thousand bucks or 500. I would say you're probably not being well represented. Um, again, I don't know every, you know, every recruiting agency out there. Um, I would just caution. That's probably not a, the best representative for, for your yeah. future career. So keep an eye out for that and trust your heart on who you allow to represent you. Got it. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I, um, I, but actually the one, one other thing I wanted to talk about is just, just to share a little bit of my own personal experience a little bit more. Uh, I, I mentioned that there was a recruiter that helped me quite a bit earlier in my career. And just to be completely honest, there was a period in my career for like six months. I was looking for a job. I could not buy a job. I was like going to websites, you know, yeah. uploading my resume for six months. I, almost nobody contacted me back. And then just very coincidentally, I met this recruiter, uh, Brent Hale. And then in two weeks, I had three job offers. And my mind was just so completely blown. I was just like, oh, my God. You know, like, <laughs> the value of recruiters and executive search, to me, at, from that experience, was like so ridiculously powerful and so the question I, I wanted to talk about you guys is so it's more about for, for those people that do fit your criteria how could they actually get in touch with you because you know for for some people it's going to make a huge impact on their lives as it did to me and so you know for you how do you find the people that you work with is it word of mouth referrals do you guys respond to cold calls? What's the best approach for people to reach out and to, uh, you know, get in touch with you? 
aspect. Uh, Sam, do you want to start? Yeah, um, I'll start. Uh, I think there's a lot to talk about here, and I think it's it's a tough question, right? Because there's no there's no ideal way. It kind of depends on the roles maybe that the recruiter is working on. It depends on how busy the market is. Um, I think a point, and then I'll answer this question specifically, but I think, uh, uh, Joseph, to your point about the relationship, the key thing I think about having a great relationship with a recruiter is that there's a moment in time maybe when you're securing the job for today, but if you build the right type of relationship, then fast forward two years when you're thinking about the next career move, or maybe you make a career move and then fast forward five years and you keep that relationship going, then they can help you be strategic as you're building and thinking about where to go. So sort of subtext. Um, but I think in terms of the approach to recruiters, the key comes back to the idea of a value proposition, right? The recruiter is working on behalf of the client or they're trying to find specific types of people for specific types of roles. And so if you're clear on what it is you do, what you bring, what your value proposition is, then I think that interaction can be more compelling. Um, I, I, I give you an example of something that didn't work and this is kind of like what not to do, but I got a, a resume two days ago from a financial controller who works in the public sector, who's based in Calgary in Canada. And it was a generic mail out. And it was, there was no, no thought of, of why that individual would approach me, right? It was just a kind of generic send. And so that doesn't create any compulsion on my side to say, oh, great resume, not my space. I know people in this space, I'll pass it on. And, and I think that's the thing to think about, make sure you're relevant. Um, and then again, to the point of be there, right? I do think use the systems of the recruiting firms, like get in the database because sometimes we just go straight to the database and do our first searches there. And if you're not there, we can't find you. And if you are there, then we have an opportunity to connect. So I think there's just lots of, there's lots of ways to approach it. I don't think there's one single answer. I know Jeff, what's your, your view? <laughs> yeah, 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 I agree. There is no, no single answer. I will tell you what I find works for, for me and for our group. And um, unfortunately, cold calls to us don't really pan out. Um, and, but I want you to understand why. It's, it's not that we're not, or I don't see value in you or, or think you're a fantastic candidate. Um, we get, <laughs> it's important to know, we, we get calls maybe a hundred a day. <laughs> and, and it's not, it's not always informative. Um, and so what I always suggest to people is find me on LinkedIn, find our website, um, reach out to me directly. The, the majority of, of our referrals, and I think we're really fortunate in this, do come from word of mouth. Mm -hmm. um, and when I do have someone just reach out blindly, say over, over LinkedIn or over the website, the very first thing I, I want to do is make sure they have a resume that I can see and evaluate and understand. Um, and, and from there, then we delve into a conversation as to what they're looking for, when they're looking for it, what I see relevant and uh, irrelevant on their resume and, and so on. But uh, I, I certainly don't want to ever <laughs> discourage anyone from, from reaching out to us. I, I'm, I'm more trying to give uh, potential candidates a better method of reaching us. And, and that is through, of course, <laughs> word of mouth, but also just um, you can come on our website or, or look at me through, through LinkedIn. And, and again, 
Tell me what you're about. I, I, I don't mean to make this so long, but I do just want to add this. I would say 40% of my week is spent on non-formal <laughs> um, candidates and clients. And what I mean by that is if I have someone that contacts me and we develop a rapport and I think he or she has a very solid skill set um, in, in a winning personality, I always am here to help them. And I go out of my way to find relevant opportunities in companies or businesses I think that they will enjoy and be successful in. Uh, and I'll just end this by saying, Joseph, it, it kind of tags onto your last point where I think the worst way to find a job is to submit a resume through a website. I, I just don't know. I've never seen it work. Even when I had my own company, I never saw it work. So yeah, I know. And, and so I just encourage who, whatever recruiter you use or don't use, try to find a way on the inside of where you want to ultimately be and use your contacts there to get you in the door, whether it's us, another recruiting agency or friends of a friend of a friend, that's yeah. ultimately your best bet to, to get noticed in a company. Again, my, my two cents only, but um, <laughs> wanted to share. Great. For, for those individuals who are you know, fortunate enough to work with one of you, could you talk about what the typical engagement looks like from, you know, whether it's, you know, from the initial contact to getting introduced to you to securing a closed deal? Like what, what does that process generally look like and how do you generally interact with the, the candidates that you're working with? Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll jump in and, and I'll make this short, Sam. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can get into it. Um, you know what? Uh, every candidate again is a little bit different, believe it or not. Some candidates prefer only email that they just they don't want to talk on the phone i get it <laughs> you know sometimes that's not the um the easiest way to communicate uh particularly if uh you're somewhat of of an introvert uh so from from the moment we bring you on board right there's um you're kind of under our our, our wing and we never blindly submit you we always ask you, hey, here are some available opportunities. What do you like? What don't you like? Or as I just kind of alluded to, I ask them, where are you interested in going? Um, there's a great chance I may know somebody at that studio or at that publisher. And I'm happy to, to make that introduction. Um, we stay with candidates throughout the process and are there as close or as distant as they like. Some people are relatively new to using a recruiter, and so they want to be kind of led through the process, through interviews, to feedback, to um, offer, to counteroffer, to negotiation, um, and even through first day and then some. Other candidates just say, hey, I'm interested in this job. Can you submit me? Um, and I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's, a, it's just dependent on, on the candidate. But, uh, you know, I, I do consider we are full service and, and we're here from the very beginning till the moment you, um, you let us know that you've got it covered and, and we're no longer needed. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, our, um, our approach is a little bit different. So when you think along that spectrum, we, we're in that kind of frothy middle of the spectrum that I described. And so I, I think about Carmichael Fisher as being sort of structured, but agile. So we, we do work in a retained environment, but we are an outcome based um, 
retained firm. So we we are hired by the client. Um, our subsequent invoices after our first retainer are tied to us meeting some defined deliverables to the client. So um, so we're taking a job to the market and then we're looking for candidates to fill that, that role. Um, and so it's really, it, it's a process that we t- say on the client side takes between um, eight to 12 weeks is the full cycle for a search to be completed. And as a candidate, you might cycle into that week three and then, you know, we'll conclude once we get to the offer that's accepted. Um, and from, from a candidate, the experience is that we are, um, we're asked by the client to give them a comparative view of a certain type of skill set in the market. So we might look at somebody that we think is absolutely on target, somebody who's a little bit more junior, somebody who's a bit more senior, and present that as a comparative pool of candidates mm-hmm. to the client. Um, and, and our goal is to make sure that the client and the candidate are looking at the opportunity completely objectively. So we don't sell. We're not that kind of strong arming somebody into a role. We're really saying, look, if this is a career opportunity for you, let's enable you to be as successful in the interview process as you can. So if you're a candidate with us, we'll go through initial screening. We'll do um, fairly in-depth conversations because then we present you and write a report about you to the client so that they've kind of ostensibly done a first interview through us. And then when they meet you, they already know a lot about you so they can get down into very specifics of what they're looking for. And we support you through that whole process. We do pre-briefings of interviews. We do pro- a debrief of the interview afterwards um, so that if you're successful, you know how you presented. If you didn't make it to the next round, you know things that can maybe help you in your subsequent interviews that you go to the market, um, that you have in the market. So it, it's sort of, it's a full process um, up to exactly, Jeff, to your point, up to the end where we're supporting the offer. We typically get involved in the initial verbal offer so that we can negotiate so that by the time the client is presenting the written offer, we know it's going to be a yes. And so there's no kind of, discomfort the new employee coming in um and then we do the the follow-up right how was day one how was month one three months in is it everything you expected because we can then be again that objective buffer so if something isn't quite right and the new employee doesn't know how to address that with their hiring manager we've got the relationships on both sides so we can support the, the placement through that. So it's a pretty extensive um, process, I would say, um, and fairly typical when you think about retained models. Got it. And, and maybe I could dig in a little bit in terms of the nuance, in terms of from a recruitment perspective. I guess there's there's kind of a couple of models. The model that you're talking about is you're actually representing the company where you're trying to get a big pool of qualified candidates and kind of funnel them in and find the best candidate for the company. And then yeah. there may be more of a, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, con- I guess I, I forgot what we're calling a contingency model where you're representing the candidate trying to find a good company for them. So there's kind of like those two different models. And I think, Jeffrey, you work on both sides, right? I do. Yes, right. that's right. And, and, and so maybe the one thing for, for the audience to understand is, you know, depending on the, the model, you know, in one case, you're going to have to like impress you, for example, Sam, right. <laughs> uh, and do, do their best to like best position themselves to make sure that they are representing themselves in a way that impresses you and makes them seem like the best fit for the company. Mm-hmm. And I, I think um, on the, you know, uh, on the contingency side, when, when you're working in that model, Jeffrey, then is, is that more of a being able to be a little bit more open and sharing and, and just trying to find the best fit? Is that, would that be fair to say? Um, 
I think it's it's fair to say. I also I, I also don't want to make it sound like like Sam's approach is not being honest and upfront with yeah, you. No, 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 so, yeah. yeah. It's just a totally different business model, more more mm-hmm. than anything yeah. else. It's um candidates that, that come to us, right? Um because unless we are on a, a specified retained search, which typically for us happens at the executive or C-level basis. Yeah. Uh, and I assume very, very similar with, with, with Sam. And um, once you come with us, it, it's very similar to what you're, say, you're saying, right? I want to know you. Um, you don't necessarily need to impress me, but I need to know what you can do and what you like to do because, because we don't have one specific client that is um, paying us on retainer, right? We typically carry about four to six companies at any one time. Um, That allows us a little bit more flexibility per se, if someone comes up to us and says, you know, I have this skill and this skill and this skill. Um, It may not be perfect for one company, it may be a closer fit for two other companies that we're representing, or it may not be a good fit for any of those. And yet again, I go back to what I said, I'm happy to help you find that, that company. And, and it goes back because it, and Joseph, I think you kind of knew this when, when we worked a little bit together, I just like doing it. I I've had so much time in the industry and have built a, you know, a relatively strong database that it, it's, it's easy for me to do. I enjoy doing it. And I do think it's so much more beneficial than applying blindly on a website yeah. <laughs> or on a link. That's, but uh, I, I think both business models um, are, are very appropriate and very effective um, for, for candidates of you know, all calibers. Got it. We've been mainly talking about the, you know, the case where companies are struggling and people are looking for new, new job situations. But I thought we could shift focus a little bit and now talk about the case where maybe there just isn't a good fit. If either, you know, you aren't fitting or you aren't happy at the job you're working at, what should people do in this scenario? Great. Uh, I answered first last time, Sam, I'll defer to you because I think I have a long answer. So I wanted to. (laughs) Yeah. So, so this, I think um, this is a tough situation, right? Because if you are feeling unsuccessful, that's a really hard thing to kind of break through, right? You go to work and you, you, you're miserable. Um, that, that's a really difficult place to be. Um, and I think that when that happens, um, well, number one, it, it's rarely that just you know that, right? Your manager should understand that and see that. And if they don't, then there's an issue. But I think that um, maybe I, I think about it in terms of an example. If you are a long-term employee and you are feeling underutilized and um, unmotivated because it it just is not inspiring for you, then it's important not just to go and say, this isn't working, it's not a fit, I'm unhappy. I think it's really important to say, what is it I want to be doing? What would excite me? And am I qualified or do I need to do other things in order to get there? And then go with that to your manager, go and try and figure that out with your manager. because then you're presenting potentially a solution or an idea about what could be next. Um, 
but I think the underlying theme, sorry, it's kind of long-winded answer, but the underlying theme is take action, right? Don't just sit and be miserable. Figure out what you want to do. Try and make it happen with your manager. If that doesn't work, stay focused and do the best work you can in the role, but look up and out and find something else. I mean, and I, and I think the, the key is this should also be coming from the employer. And when it doesn't, then that may be more of a, a problem. That's probably another conversation. But I think do something is the key. Yeah. Uh, so abs- absolutely, I I agree, and I have I want to kind of give you my own philosophy on on this, Joseph. Um, I I know that there are li- what I call them lifers, people that join a company mm-hmm. and are there for twenty five years, right, thirty years, and and I think that's really great, but I'm also of the belief that you know if you're going to work just not to <laughs> cause attention or trouble um, or, or ruffle some feathers, you're going to be a good employee. I'm not sure you're going to be a great employee. And that's my personal philosophy. Okay. So I'm not encouraging anyone to go into work and ruffle feathers. Okay. <laughs> but I am saying, you know what? Be comfortable. Be comfortable with you, be comfortable with your ideas, be comfortable with the contributions you can make to an organization and and live your your professional career that way, because I think you'll be happier in in the long run. And I'm kind of going about to answer this a long, a long way, Joseph, but um, make a decision. You'll know, you'll know within from my experience anyway, you'll know within six months if you are in a good place. Um, and I think then most candidates spend the next three to six months figuring out if I'm going to make a move or if I'm going to just buckle down and this is going to be where I'm at until they decide to get rid of me. Um, I'm not really a fan of either of, those, of either of those approaches, but but I have found that that seems to be what 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 happens. And I just encourage, back to being a, a, a recruiter, one thing that I really press on all candidates, tell me what you thought of your manager. Tell me what you thought of your direct supervisor during the, whether it's after the phone screen, whether it's after the personal interview. Um, I'm sure we've all heard this, right? You really are going to be as successful as your direct manager allows you to be or lets you be. And you know, in my career early on, I can say I didn't get along very well with one of my managers and that experience did not last very long. Um, I was devastated uh, when they let me go, devastated. But I'll tell you this much, it sure kicked me in the pants and I made sure that I was going to prove my worth in, in this industry and um, in, in live to my potential, not to the potential of um, someone who happened to uh, get a jump start in their career ahead of me. So that's my personal take on it. Um, probably not the most professional take. So I, again, I'm not encouraging anyone to take a job and raise hell to get to the top. But I'm also not encouraging anyone just to, you know, bow their head down and and not be happy for the mm-hmm. remainder of their career either. Yeah, got it. So my final question has to do with post exit. So let's say you got laid off or you were let go by the company you worked for. If I'm being honest, it seems like the majority of people in this situation act kind of bizarrely, at least to me. 
So for example, they will not change their LinkedIn profile to reflect they've been let go. They kind of go super quiet. And it seems like they just work with recruiters very discreetly, right? And so it seems there's kind of an, an embarrassment or shame associated with this, which I can understand. But I'm wondering if based on those feelings, whether this approach is actually helpful or is it actually harmful? So I wanted to ask you guys about what the best approach should be. And just to provide a bit more context, for me personally, I sort of took the opposite tack. So day one of leaving my last firm, for example, where there definitely was not a good fit. I I mean, more accurately, I was kind of pushed out due to conflicts. I changed my LinkedIn profile immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I posted on LinkedIn pretty loudly and I even did like a podcast on my departure. And so for me, it was that, that approach, at least for me, was in, incredibly encouraging and very helpful. Mm-hmm. Lots of different people kind of reached out to me and a lot of different opportunities just kind of popped up because of that approach. And so I wanted to open up this question in, in terms of how people should act after this kind of a situation to best help them with different job opportunities? Like specifically, how should people publicize and talk about their situation post-exit? Okay, I'll jump in, I'll jump on. (laughs) So so remember earlier we were saying this is such a a transient small industry, right? Um, What I have found is this. Regardless of how you left or why you left or why the company asked you to leave, someone is going to tell that story, right? Someone is going to tell that story. It might as well be you. Tell the story exactly how it happened, right? There's no shame. I promise there's no shame in doing so. I, and Joseph, you're consummate professional, right? And so I would never have any worries about what you post on LinkedIn or how you handled yourself in that situation. I think lots of people could learn from you how you handled your recent departure. Um, the, The only thing I would say is, you know, don't create enemies. That's the last thing you need because you are going to cross paths with them again. I can't tell you how often in and Sam, you probably get this too. How often someone doesn't like a candidate or speaks no against a candidate that you're representing because they worked with him or her 10 years ago at a yeah. small company and they blew up and caused a fiasco, et cetera, et cetera. So be professional when, when you leave a company, but speak about it. Be proud of it. It's one stepping stone for the bright future of the rest of your career. And if Jeffrey, you can, I, story, can I ask you about yeah. that? Because like my, my approach has actually been um, to, to, to like publicize that I'm out, but not to, like, I actually don't like to talk. So when people ask me, I'm just like, well, you know, I'm out and then just kind of like focus more on the future or should we be telling the story of like what, what happened? Here, here's what, I was just getting to this. On the public forum, on your LinkedIn, there's no reason to get into the weeds, okay? The fact is you're, you're gone, you've left um, and you want people to know you're no longer with that organization. I do think it's really important that you embrace the reason why you, you left. Um, and, and if you don't embrace it, 
I, this is what I was kind of getting into earlier. Someone's going to give a different story to really what happened. And, yeah. and that's not going to be effective for, for an individual. So embrace what happened. And you know what? Everybody has different challenges at, at their work. Everybody. And so it's not a bad thing. It's a character building thing. And it really, the way I tell candidates is, you know what? This happens and it's probably a positive thing because it's just frees up your energy and, and your ambition to deliver it for another company or for yourself or um, a new, new opportunity. So embrace it. Don't be ashamed of it, right? That's my personal philosophy. Sam? Yeah, you know, I think I think if you've been released and let go from a company, it's a really hard situation, right? Because there's ego and pride and uncertainty involved. And, and those things fuel behaviors and drive sort of emotional responses to things. So, I, you know, I think, Jeff, back to your point, it's like, remember who you are as an individual and as a professional, because that needs to just sort of be presented in, in everything that you do. So even if you leave and you're desperately angry or unhappy about it, those emotions don't need to drive the way that you present that story. Um, and I think, you know, I, I talked about it before, this idea of, of practicing in the off-Broadway conversation. I think the thing in when you leave an organization is, is when you're talking to a future prospective employer, you know, know what you did and achieved in that role, even if you were terminated, understand what you were successful at and embrace that and use that to move forward. Um, I think if you have been terminated from a position and you're working with a recruiter or a future employer, you disclose that. You don't have to get into the weeds necessarily unless they ask. And if they do, they need to ask appropriately. But you have to be transparent about it. Right. You need to be honest, straightforward and don't. Um, be really careful not to embellish things because exactly, Jeff, what you were saying, it's a small industry and other people may have experienced a layoff at the same time or may have been familiar with the story. And so if you embellish it or if you tell a different story, you're going to get caught out and then and that can follow you for years. So just be thoughtful about that. I mean, it's it's kind of as simple as be smart about it, right? Be the professional that you are, be smart and thoughtful and think about how you articulate your value um, and your value isn't the termination your value is what you were successful at and what you can bring to the next organization absolutely, absolutely. Agree. okay great um, well sam and jeffrey thanks so much for your time today before we close this out do you have any final words of advice or recommendations to our audience I, I wish we would do this every week. I'm learning so much. <laughs> but uh, I just, you know, thank you so much. Uh, very nice to, to be on this panel with, with both true professionals and uh, appreciate that. Um, Game Group is always here. We're anxious to hear from you and, and help ho however we best can. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you, Sam. Yeah, no, I, I echo that. It's been a pleasure to join the conversation. I think there's so many topics that we could separate from what we've talked right. about today. <laughs> There's so much to talk about, but I um, appreciate the, the time and spending time with both of you and spending time with your audience. Okay. And if people do want to contact you, I, I know for you, Jeffrey, you're, you're saying it's probably best for them to try and contact you via LinkedIn. So maybe I can provide a, um, a, a link to your LinkedIn profile, but for you, Sam, is there, are, are you open to people contacting you? And if so, it, you know, similarly like LinkedIn? Yeah, or? LinkedIn is great because then it's, it's the nice thing about that is it gives us both immediate visibility into background. So that would be awesome. 
great. Well, thank you very much for your time. And um, yeah, that's, that's a wrap. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend, both of you. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Joseph. Bye.